The Sunday Baroque podcast is made possible by WSHU and the Friends of Sunday Baroque. You can find out more about the Friends of Sunday Baroque and find out how to become one yourself by visiting our website, sundaybaroque.org, under the Contact tab. Courtney Beck is executive director of Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra and Chorale, the San Francisco-based period instrument ensemble. PBO recently created a new position, creative partner, and appointed singer Devon Tynes to the position. The extraordinary bass baritone is deeply committed to social justice and to the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the world of classical music. He joins PBO's new music director, Richard Egar, and newly appointed composer-in-residence, Tarek O'Regan, on the dynamic creative team. Courtney Beck and Devon Tynes join me on Zoom to talk about the new collaboration and this next chapter for Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra and Chorale. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. So, Courtney, let's start with you. Would you please explain exactly what PBO's creative partner does? You know, what's the job description? Yeah. Um, You know, this, Devon and I were just talking yesterday about the fact that what makes this partnership so unique, I think in the field at large, number one is that it has no expiration date. So this is not designed as a partnership that that includes, you know, a few appearances on the docket over the course of the season, and then off, off he goes. It is an immersive partnership that is meant to allow for, for real legacy planning and, and learning. So in this immersive partnership, Devon is attending all of our board meetings. He's attending our strategic planning meetings. He is, he's been part of long range artistic planning meetings. He has access to our, our financials, our five year, um, you know, pro forma budgets. And most importantly, he's also involved in our education programs. Um, and this, this will actually be the very first time that we have even mentioned this because it hasn't been formally announced. But Philharmonia just launched a brand new education program called the One School Initiative, also designed for the long haul. So just yesterday, uh, Devon and Richard um, and our director of education, Lisa Groden, were at Mission High School in San Francisco, working directly with the students in the classrooms, um, as well as in the auditorium. Devon decided to have the kids write a, a, a sentence about something that they were excited about or anxious about, and then he sang it to actually teach them how opera works and and what a recitative actually means um, and how they tell their stories. And I, I can't tell you how meaningful it is to have Devon involved in this particular way. The partnership is, is a two-way street. Devon is trying to understand what makes audiences tick. Why, why do they come to concerts? What do they know about the artists who are actually bracing their stages? Why do sponsors, why do board members even bother investing in projects that, that we're putting on? And I think that's one of the things when I met Devon now six years ago that really struck me, his curiosity, his desire to really understand 
why, why we're doing what we're doing in, in the arts field. Um, and how can we take this particular partnership and teach others how to do this? So Devon will work with us for many, many years and each year will probably be, will be a little bit different. Um, but, but the goal is that it's a forever mm-hmm. partnership and not a one year partnership, which is how we're approaching all of our major I would say, you know, innovations and very intentional programs that we're putting on. Nothing is meant to be a one-off anymore. We are really going for depth and not breadth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Devon, what is your vision for your role as the creative partner? Do you have specific short-term and long-term ideas? What's sort of the bigger picture? What's, What's your vision? Yes, um, my vision for the creative partnership continues to evolve, and I always wanted to leave it in in um, open ended way. You know, I have a lot of things that I'm personally passionate about and interested in, and I more so wanted to get to know this organization, but also pointed towards answering this somewhat purposefully salacious question: What is the point of a Baroque orchestra in the 21st century? And I asked that question, and I don't intend it to be salacious because I really want to know what is the point, what are we doing, and why are we doing it? Because if we can clearly define that, we can make the case for what else can be done with the organization and why people should come and support it. So I think in order to answer that question, it involves um, engagement with the organization at every single level, which is why I'm, you know, attending every board meeting and the strategic planning. And Courtney has been so incredibly welcoming of me to artistic planning conversations, um, but also performing as part of the organization over the coming years in a number of existing Baroque works and also exciting new things that will be coming up. And also being a voice within the internal programming, PBO sessions and Jews and music. Um, I really am thankful for the opportunity to dig into every level internal and external to the organization to really just see how does it operate and how am I able to bring my unique perspective to all of those work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's ask Courtney to answer that question then. Why a Baroque orchestra in the 21st century? <laughs> Put you on the spot. Yeah, no, this is great. This is the million dollar question. Um, and, and I've been working on this actually. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> working on my answer. Um, you know, I, I think the only way to understand the, the present is to delve into the past, um, to, to understand the influence of old on new. But, but I think to a certain extent that sounds a bit pedestrian. Um, you know, a period instrument orchestra isn't relegated to the music of the 16th through 18th centuries. We've always performed Baroque, which of course is our incredible specialty, but also classical and early romantic with the heavy lift on, on Baroque. Um, including unearth- unearthing music that hasn't been performed for, you know, possibly 300 years. Mm-hmm. But, but there is a place in the, not just the Baroque canon, but with period instruments. It's not the end, it's the beginning. And I know that this is something that Richard also feels very strongly about. How can we understand influence of the past, not just influences in terms of music making, but what was happening in history and how do we bring that history forward and how do we create our own history by understanding what was happening before and what's happening now. There's plenty of space for that. Um, you know, as Devon mentioned, we have a program called Jews and Music. 
also really seeking to understand the role, you know, for example, of Jews and non-Jews in the making of music in the ghetto um, that, you know, that began in 17th century Italy, the, the synagogue, um, as a performance space, not as a religious space. And, and, and what does all of this mean? Because the roots of Baroque are still incredibly relevant in terms of what's happening right here, right now, and the dialogues that are going on inside of, of orchestras, all kinds of orchestras everywhere. And we're really lucky because we started on this particular journey, I think a long time ago. We started having these conversations. We started partnering with people like Anthony Roth Costanzo and, and Devon, trying to begin to understand these questions before it came to a head. But now we get to open that book in a different way. So Devon, this is a little bit from a, a little bit of a selfish perspective, but um, you know, all of these responsibilities as strategic planning and governance and programming and working with the board and the staff and the audience and the orchestra. So how are you going to balance it with your singing career? I'm a little concerned about this. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my engagement with singing has always been about being um, at least personally overt and explicit about the context in which I perform. Um, I think any performer standing on a stage would be remiss if they did not understand that larger context. You're standing in front of an amazing, probably unique group of people every single night, and all of that work that you're doing is being supported by an incredible and unique uh, institution. So it's not so much that I'm pulling myself in different directions away from singing. I actually still very much love, you know, the privilege of being front and center and being able to deliver something, but I'd like to think of it more as my broadening the aperture on the institution or the context in which I perform. My audience is not only in front of me, but it's beside me and behind me. So if I can better understand all of the aspects of what engages the art, I think better art can be made. So this is, well, it's a question for you, Devon, but I think it's actually a question for both of you in some ways, but I'd like you to, to tackle it first. So real tangible change and ongoing steps are needed to move forward in positive ways, things like diversity and equity and access and inclusion. So what tactics do you think are necessary for arts organizations? I mean, having new roles like a creative partner is important, sure. But in general, do you have any thoughts on what specific tactics you think arts organizations need to take to keep moving forward in addressing these issues? And also, what can audiences and music lovers do to keep this moving forward, to keep this on the front burner? I think the primary tactic that arts institutions can take on are the tactics that any institution or any, you know, body that decides to interact with individuals can take on. And that is self-reflection and self-valuation of what that institution is doing and is able to do for the people with which it interacts. So I think arts institutions, the tactic now is for them to be self-reflective. What is the work that we aim to do? How do we try to do that well? But to also look at that in a way that's not <laughs> exactly in the sense of business, but I mean it in terms of like, you know, if we're dealing in art here, we're, we're talking about people's lives. We're talking about emotion as administrated. So there's some barrier there between how does the support of life experience become um, cradled institutionally. So specific to Philharmonia Baroque, what interests me about being involved with the organization is what I see as the potential for the performance practice of Baroque music or for uh, period instruments or historically informed performance. You know, yes, there's a beautiful um, 
canon of repertoire. And more exciting to me is the practice through which that particular repertoire is realized. So in a Baroque orchestra, there's a very unique, beautiful practice of presence. Musicians spend a lot of time in community with each other in order to make musical choices. I can tell you from experience, there's a different level of attention that people pay to each other, a different level of general respectability in terms of musicianship and ideas being passed along and honored. This is not something that is exactly standard in the quote-unquote modern orchestra. There's also other elements of performance practice in the Baroque world that um, invite audiences to engage in a different way or are very explicit about wanting music to connect to, you know, telling a human story through opera or also in popular ways. Back in the day, you could say, um, the popular music was in this Baroque chamber forum and not in the kind of um, antiseptic chamber that has become our modern concert hall. So I think... Part of the tactic in being self-evaluating is saying, well, what are our actual deeper values of the history that we come from? What are the cultural practices there of presence and connectivity that we can actually continue to build on? And if I can be pretty explicit, um, realizing that that sort of practice is an embedded part of a cultural practice of white people gives me hope for the progression of what is now the majority culture, because there is actually a forum historically upheld in which white people have invited community and attention and sharing. So we can hold and value that practice and find ways to invest in it moving forward. There's actually hope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Courtney, did you want to add to this? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I have a very sort of simple formula for this. Mm-hmm. I think we have a responsibility to be externally focused. And, and I think that's absolutely critical. Sure. We can, we can try to educate within the audience. We can expand the pool of composers we're presenting. That doesn't begin to really answer. I think the question that you're asking and to the extent that we take what we do and into the community and into the community. I mean, that's, that's a big word, right? Community. What does that mean? It means mission high school. It means taking what we're doing and taking it into, to offices, um, you know, across the Bay area. It means working with our community partners in the tenderloin here in San Francisco, our offices in the tenderloin which is a really an area that has been hard hit by the pandemic. It was already hard hit before the pandemic. So, so if we can move out of the concert hall while still doing all the beautiful and wonderful things in the concert hall, then I think we've made a material difference. And that's what Devon is doing and, and, and in working with us. And I think we, we have a responsibility to, to all of this, but I, I firmly believe that to the extent that we can really create more focus on all of the communities that represent, that should represent the audience that you see in the concert hall, that's when we begin to make a fundamental change in the way that we're all doing our work. Otherwise, we're talking to ourselves, um, and that's really easy to do. So right. I'm excited about the external. Yeah. 
Well, that this is actually related to to my uh, my next question, and it's a question for both of you. And it really is: How will you measure successes? Um, you know, how will you know you're moving in the right direction? Is there a function in place for checking in? And and you know, are there metrics? Are there? How are you going to know? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. What I can tell you, I, I can give you one measure: that if we are able to restore the chorus at Mission High School that they lost seven years ago because of funding. And we are able to also bring those kids to perform as part of main stage concert halls. And we're able to do this over the next, not two years, five years. That's one measure of success. If we are able to create musical opportunities for people in this, in the neighborhood where, where we actually work on an ongoing basis. We've done something right. If our audience has made a real, it's, it's, not a, it's not fair to say that the audience has made a leap. If together we understand where, where, where we sit with the Western European canon and that music is more expansive than that, uh, we've made a difference. If our orchestra has more people of color, we've made a difference. So I just told you we didn't have any metrics and I just gave you, I don't know how many that was, but <laughs> that, that's, that's my, that's my answer. It's, it's, as Devon says, this is the 10 year, this is the 10 year approach, right? This is the, this, this is the long haul. This isn't about checking boxes. So this is something that um, I think we commit to, but we commit to fully in, and we do it through the expression of art so that there is an authenticity. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Devon? What's your, what's your take on this? Right now, generally, within arts institutions and also larger other institutions in our country, in our world, we're very concerned with aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion, social justice, and mm-hmm. so on. And, you know, there are many reasons for why perhaps that's at the forefront of the general consciousness now, as it tends to be in very regular cycles, for better or for worse. But what I am finding in this time when people are a little more willing to walk down these conversations is the opportunity to be very forthright in saying these were not shortly birthed problems. These are not things that happened in a few concert seasons. And so they were going to take more than a few concert seasons to walk out of. If we're going to talk about you know, undoing writing or engaging hundreds of years of systematic oppression and trying to articulate that through what an organization looks like in terms of demographics. I think that's a very unbalanced way to engage what change might be. But what I think we do have the opportunity to do at this point is to look at the organization that exists, understand how it is a part of a problem or not, and then look towards the future to lay longer laid plans of what change can be. One example, you know, to bring musicians of color into the orchestra, yes, that is a goal. Do those musicians exist? We will continue to see and find them. But also what we can do is form coalition and deep resources and guidance to invite people and cultures into a practice that would create those musicians over time. And that will not be done overnight. That will take generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I have been speaking with Courtney Beck, Executive Director of Philharmonia, Baroque Orchestra and Chorale, and bass baritone Devon Tynes, PBO's newly named creative partner. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you.